Hey, my friends, thank you for joining me for this episode of Real Live Talk. I'm so grateful that you're here to check out this conversation with my friend Amy Davison. Amy is not a stranger to the podcast. She's been on a few times before, and I always enjoy having Amy on because she challenges me to think more critically and more deeply about many things, and uh, today's conversation was no different. Amy is a biblical apologist and writer for Mama Bear Apologetics. She's a wife, mother of three, and veteran of the U.S. Air Force. She's a co-author of the best-selling book, Mama Bear Apologetics Guide to Sexuality, which is available for purchase on Amazon.com, Target.com, and ChristianBooks.com. In this conversation, we talk about culture, the sort of shifting landscape, particularly talking about how postmodernism or postmodernist thought philosophy has been transitioning over the past 10 to 15 years or so into something new, morphing into something new, something different, an offshoot of that, which I don't know if there's an actual term. I've heard this referred to as metamodernism. I've heard it referred to as post-postmodernism. <laughs> Amy was using a term uh, a little bit kind of loosely here of neo-modernism, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Amy explains it basically as this mindset that kind of birthed out of postmodernism, which is this idea that there is no such thing as objective truth, that if there is truth, it's just what you find meaning out of. In other words, there is no real meaning to anything, but you can take something and you can find meaning out of it for yourself. She explains how this newer version of what I'll refer to as metamodernism right now basically takes that principle of there is no real um, objective meaning to life other than what you decide to make of it, but then taking that and now saying that you have to accept what I have decided for myself is my truth or what I am deciding is my meaning. And uh, there's just been a lot of shifting taking place, and to me, it's been the natural progression of a society who has really in large part been running away from God and trying to find purpose and meaning with anything but God. And so that's kind of what this conversation is about. And uh, I think it's going to encourage you, challenge you, uh, particularly challenge you to think more critically on some of these things that we're talking about and how to engage culture more deeply and more meaningfully, but from a biblical, Christ-centered worldview. Uh, that's what Amy is really an expert in. She's an expert in a bunch of stuff, but that's one of the things that she really has a lot of knowledge on and uh, talks so eloquently around a lot of these topics. So I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. If you do, if you consider subscribing, sharing, or leaving a review, I would super appreciate that. It would mean the world to me. Thank you again for being here. Now let's go ahead and jump into this conversation with Amy Davison. All right. This is happening, Amy. This is finally <laughs> happening. <laughs> we are rolling. We are up and running. I feel like we've been trying to make this happen for months now. It just about because um, mine was the first one to bail and then I finally got it fixed and then yours tanked. And so it's just been a cycle of brokenness. <laughs> yep. <laughs> a cycle of brokenness, <laughs> which feeds into what we're going to talk about today. But yeah, on the technological side, there's been a serious cycle of brokenness. We've been trying to have a conversation for a while now. We were, <laughs> it's funny because the last time you were on, it was Columbus Day. And we were joking about how it was Columbus Day and how it's just like a meaningless holiday. So then we were yeah. going to have you on for Flag Day, which is for sure mm -hmm. a step up from Columbus Day. But still, 
you know. Uh, and then uh, it turned out I scheduled you for Flag Day totally accidentally. And then I was excited because it actually ended up being Flag Day. And then I found out that it wasn't actually American Flag Day. It was Mexican Flag Day <laughs> because oh, I have the I because my wife is Mexican. So like we have Mexican and American holidays on our calendar. And uh, anyway, it was just it, I thought that would be even better to have you on on Mexican Flag Day. But anyway, it didn't end up working out. And uh, so here so we are. Disappointing. Turns out I don't know when Flag Day is. Apparently it's in June sometime, not in February. Really? I could have sworn. But, it. Yeah. February or April. That's like for whatever reason, I thought that was <clears throat> the month of one of those. Uh, so, yeah, June. OK, <laughs> well, now we know what we're doing in June. So yeah we'll make it we'll figure it out we'll figure it out for sure we'll make something happen but uh but yeah just uh before we jump into some some deep stuff how is everything in your world everything is great but a little chaotic we uh we've lived in our little house for almost six years now and we are finally getting a kitchen which is super exciting um we had cabinets <laughs> wait, and things wait, 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 wait. up I know. Like, let me preface this. We did have cabinets, but they were not the the most functional. Um, it was kind of this hilarious thing. Every time we saw, we came to see our house twice before we bought it. And every time we came to see it, the people who owned it were here in the house. So, I mean, you you don't go digging in people's drawers, like kitchen drawers, not like their wardrobe, um, when they're <laughs> present, because that just feels weird. Um, and so when we moved in, I know, when we moved in, I go to open the drawer and it wouldn't open. And I was like, well, that's odd. So I open the cabinet next to it and it just empties to the floor. Like there's, there's no bottom. We're seeing the exposed, it's a hundred year old house. We're seeing the original siding, like through the back of the cabinet. Uh -huh. I'm like, that's probably not a good sign. And then when I looked around the corner to see what was holding up the drawer, it turns out it wasn't a drawer. What they had done is there was a board and they had glued door fronts to the board to look uh -huh. like there was like four drawers and there was nothing. So um, we've just, we had two upper cabinets that they were backed with cardboard. Um, and I've got pictures of it. It's a hilarious story. You'd open it up, you just see a cardboard box. Um, and so we're like, you know what, we, we can muscle through. Uh, but yeah, we got to about five years and, and I was like, I think it's time we get a kitchen. So yeah, I would, like our kitchen is in shambles. There's like chunks of drywall, but it's been so cool because we found newspaper from the twenties that was pasted to the wall, old, um, wallpaper and stuff. So it's, it's been kind of a little treasure trove for my, my nerdy little heart finding all this stuff. But, uh, yeah, that's oh, what that's we've been amazing. doing. So it's been crazy. That's amazing. First of all, that's a, actually a huge pet peeve of mine is non-functional drawers. My, yeah. my son asked me a while back, uh, like what, what my pet peeves were and I couldn't like come up. I don't know. I was having a hard time coming up with stuff on the spot. That's a good one. That's a real one. When mm. a drawer just is not an actual drawer and it looks like a drawer, like, bro, just be a drawer. Like why right? you have to look like a drawer, you just be job. flat. Like just be, yeah. Like why are you there? I don't need you to look like a drawer if you're not actually a drawer. I'm not yeah. that interested in what drawers look like. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. But uh, no. but that's also that's super cool. So you've been finding just random newspaper ads, and you actually you sent me a picture of one, which I couldn't really make out in the in the image that you that you sent me. Yeah. But I'll have to send you because I've got better ones to where yeah, there was a there was an ad for um, like men's boater hats and how you could actually if you if you wrote into this place in New York, you could actually become one of their traveling salesmen. Um, that was part of oh, it. Yeah. Um, there was one that was stuck to the wall, it was pasted to it. And I, I couldn't peel it off the board without ruining it. So I just left it up there. But I have a picture of it to where it was actually advertising where you could go to see the missing link. 
And I'm like, I missed this by like 90 years. I'm so bummed out. I want to see the missing link. And, uh, and so it's just been neat to like tear down walls and you see where the old stovepipe was at the top of the room and where the original window was that they boarded up. And, and so, uh, so yeah, we didn't find, we were, you know, we were really hoping we're like, what if we open the wall and there's just like riches in there or maybe some, you know, some old bottles from the prohibition era. Like we were just going off romantic theories, but no, we got like the missing link and here's how to become a part of a pyramid scheme in the 1920s. So. (laughs) Well, those boating hats, seems like that was probably a pretty lucrative business. I feel like everybody wore a hat in the 20s. You had to. Yeah, everybody yeah. wore a hat. Man, they had some jaunty looking fellows on there. Like, you could be like this guy if you come and be one of our salesmen. And I was like, you know, this is something you should look into, husband, if uh, you don't want to work at, at your job anymore. So, yeah, be a, a boating, wait, a boating hat traveling salesman. That would be super yeah. relevant today. It's so it relevant. really would. It's coming back. Like everything comes back, right? The 90s are coming back, which that was is just a travesty. Uh, so why not? Let's just kick it way, way back. You <laughs> hey, know, let's bring the boater hats. <laughs> that's my that's that's my generation. Well, I grew up in the 90s too, but I know. I know enough that like the all. fashions. It, no, it's just so no, bad. no. The fashion was was pretty gnarly, pretty gnarly in the 90s. Except for fanny packs. We talked about the fanny packs last time you were here. And I fully support the the advent again of fanny packs. Somebody said that fanny packs never actually went away. And I guess that's kind of true. But they're definitely becoming more prevalent than they were over the past few years. They've become more prevalent than they than they had been throughout the 2000s. Yeah, everyone had one in like the 90s, I guess. 80s standard dad wear like that. Yeah. Yeah, you could not yep. go to Disneyland or the fair without your dad sporting a fanny pack to hold all your tickets right? and stuff. Like we all but, had them. My whole family. We were a family of four with four fanny packs. They're probably Different like neon colors. Packs. I'm I'm yep, just exactly yes. Like neon yellows and greens. <laughs> yes. The hot pink for the amazing. girls. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. <sighs> it's good times. Exactly what happened. Well, uh, speaking of things coming back around, uh, <laughs> like that segue there, uh, we're going to talk today about this sort of shifting landscape of culture um, and how this always happens in you know culture and society from, well, this particular shift that's been happening, um, as you pointed out to me, over the past 10 to 15 years or so from what's been popularly referred to as postmodernism. Uh, postmodern thought, post this sort of age of postmodern uh, philosophy and thinking, this sort of shift that's been taking place from postmodernism to, I don't know, post postmodernism, or uh, as you you've been using this term, neo modernism, and so yeah, let's uh, have a conversation. I guess trying to figure out a little bit like what the heck is going on, <laughs> and uh, ultimately. I guess how to how we can operate from a biblical worldview, worldview from a Christ-centered worldview, instead of um, I guess just kind of assimilating to the culture and to what's what's popular or to what's maybe widely becoming acceptable as the norm of thinking in society. You know, you talk about this so well, engaging with culture. But there's a huge difference uh, in engaging with culture and assimilating to the culture. And as Christians or Christ followers, uh, you know, we've definitely got to maintain this 
mindset and a way of thinking and if you want to call it philosophy or perspective or whatever we want to call it that is based on the word of god and it just seems to me that everything uh and i might be getting ahead of myself here but everything kind of responds to what came before it mm-hmm. and uh so i'll ask you because i know that you'll be able to go into probably more detail on this than what I can do. I'm definitely not an expert in any means on the philosophical thought and uh, time periods and stuff like that. But, you know, maybe we can start by kind of explaining how we've got to where we are. I think to do that, we probably need to uh, mention a little bit about what postmodernism is. And as postmodernism kind of stemmed out of modernism and, you know, what came before it and stuff like that, I don't know how far back you feel like we need to go. But if you would uh, just give a little bit of a synopsis, maybe on what how we got to, first of all, postmodernism, and then we can unpack where it seems like things are shifting toward today. Yeah. And it's funny because from our conversation, you know, you had mentioned that you had heard uh, some things being referred to as metamodernism. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that Mm -hmm. is so much better to describe what is going on. Um, But kind of like a just like a super ultra brief um, sort of history of thought. So when we think of thought and worldview, oftentimes when people are trying to figure these sorts of things out, especially in the past, what they've done is they're trying to formulate a worldview because that's what all of these are. They're different Mm -hmm. worldviews and how to explain those core questions. And they're trying to do it apart from God. Um, in most cases, in some, they they do allow for for God to work. And so, probably uh, one of the easiest examples um, that we that we've used in class is that you had you, there was modernism, postmodernism, and now what we're in today. And so, modernism is kind of like if you've ever seen the movie Inside Out. Modernism was kind mm-hmm. of like joy from Inside Out. I mean, they were so pumped about their reasoning capabilities. They thought they could know all the things and they could bring about world peace and power just through you know mm. through thought through science through logic you know all of these tangibles they're like yes we can do this and we can solve all the world's problems but you know they got a bit of a reality check i mean you still have plagues you still have wars and all of these grand intellectual aspirations they had just didn't meet up to the promises that they were hoping and so from there it just tanked into what we now refer to as postmodernism, which would be the sadness character. It was this mm-hmm. drastic yeah. intellectual overcorrection to where we thought we could know all the things. And because we couldn't know all the things, now we can know none of the things. And <laughs> so, I mean, truth is completely suspect. Uh, you can't even know truth. Um, meta narratives uh which you know explain uh it's kind of a theory of everything we can't have meta narratives nobody can know anything because we are just complete finite limited human beings uh which i mean it's true but that doesn't mean that we can't know and make good judgments but they kind of just overcorrected and said well we can't know anything um truth it's all just subjective relative uh it it was just hugely problematic. And so that has sort of led into these sort of mantras that we hear today of, you know, um, you have your truth and I have my truth, live and let live. That was kind of the postmodern movement is it was this, you know, those bumper stickers that you always see at Whole Foods, this coexist tolerance, you know, everybody's got their worldview. Nobody can say one is right over the other. Um, I I mean, you you get this sort of support from the Indian proverb of the blind men and the elephant, you know, they each have a different part of the elephant and they each conclude it's one thing, you know, the trunk is the, is is a snake. Um, The tail uh, is sometimes referred to 
was a mouse or even a, a rope, the the leg, some one of the blind men has the leg and they say, oh no, this is a trunk of a tree. And the Indian proverb as well, they're just, they're very limited in their perspective. And, and so, you know, we can't know anything. And basically some have even assumed that they use this and say, well, that means everybody's right. And, you know, actually, if you look at the proverbs, no, they were all wrong. And uh, if they had just maybe gotten together and, and discussed what they had seen, maybe they'd be able to put the picture together or whoever led them into the forest to begin with, you know, could have enlightened them wow. a little bit. And so that's where postmodernism is. It was just saying we couldn't know anything at all. And there was also this real huge dependent dependence on absolutes. Like if I can't mm. know anything for a hundred percent, like a hundred percent, if I can't know something a hundred percent, then I can't know it all. It's almost like extreme skepticism. And uh, and so it's, it was just hugely problematic. And now what's interesting and what we've been seeing, in fact, we, we noticed this in our Mama Bear Apologetics book. Uh, I was teaching it at a class at, at my church and we were going through the naturalism chapter and it was categorizing all the different chains of of thought as it was going through modernism, postmodernism. Um, and uh, Hillary had written in there, like we, we don't know what era we're in quite now, but as we're looking at how people are going, it really does seem like we have now shifted into uh, into this meta modernism. And the reason we mm -hmm. say meta is not only because it's covering meta narratives, um, it's also now uh, spilling into, as we see on the news, the metaverse to where now it's not just this, and the metaverse uh, is this online reality, but now it's getting really immersive to where you can now buy uh, realty within the metaverse. You can sure. do banking within it. Uh, I believe there was an article in Vogue not too long ago to where whatever avatar you create, whatever outfit they have, you can now have that made. So in the real world, you can have the same outfit as your character. And now people are even saying, well, this uh, this character that I've created for this metaverse, then that's my real self. So it's right. we, we've had, you know, uh, transgenderism, there's even transhumanism, there are people who are identifying as animals now. And now we're having people shifting into identifying as these online avatars and saying, no, that's my true self. And so it's mm. interesting with the difference between postmodernism and metamodernism. One of the biggest is postmodernism said, well, we, we can't know uh, truth. Um, so you have your truth. I have my truth. Right. Now with metamodernism, there's a heavy influence of activism, but there's also this, this sort of pushback to saying, no, I can have my truth, but you have to affirm it now too. You have to affirm that my truth is actually true. Wow. And if you don't, now there's going to be protests. Now we're going to try and change laws. And so that's what's so different between the two is now there's this heavy sense of activism that even has uh, Marxist underpinnings um, mm -hmm. and to where it's not okay now that for you to have your truth and for me to have my truth, you have to affirm my truth is actually being real. And you have to advocate and promote, and we have to change our laws now to advocate something that, you know, 20, 30 years ago, nobody would have argued about. So yeah, it's, it's really been an interesting shift. Yeah, no, it's, there's so much there. Um, the, the metaverse conversation is interesting because there's been this sort of natural progression that I see where people have essentially been, you use this term reinventing and we're, we're kind of in this phase now where it's, it's becoming more and more acceptable to essentially reinvent yourself any way that you see fit. And then that becomes your identity. 
And so it mm. kind of almost makes sense that there would be this thing where you can reinvent yourself almost as your avatar. <laughs> I was having a conversation with somebody. Uh, we talked about the metaverse on the podcast a few weeks ago. And right now, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because the avatars that exist in the metaverse are they're they're basic they're cartoony you know mm -hmm. you can you can modify you can do different things you can almost like getting different skins or clothing you can buy shoes for your avatar and all this kind of stuff but it's still pretty cartoony but as they it continue to increase and they get better and better and better at making things become more and more photorealistic so that your avatar can essentially look just like you or just like a real human. I don't know if we're talking five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, whatever, but your, your avatar will essentially become more and more realistic. And the more people begin to spend more and more time in the metaverse, as you said, buying real estate, owning things, you know, um, there are already, I mean, there's, there's kids that are really into gaming culture. And I know there's adults that are, that are into this as well, that would rather spend $60 to buy shoes for their digital avatar than they would to buy shoes for themselves in the real world because to mm -hmm. them in the social circles that they run in there's social credit there the idea of yeah. social credit scores and just social credit and social currency and all this kind of stuff becoming more and more prevalent and infused into daily life uh, we just see that happening more and more and more and so what you're saying there about this idea of people kind of being able to reinvent themselves it seems like society itself is kind of undergirding that in really specific ways, in really practical ways, where it's just creating like everything possible for every person to be able to invent themselves to determine what their identity is going to be. And as you said, whether that's identifying a male identifying as a female or if it's a person identifying as an animal or somebody identifying, you know, an older person identifying as a younger person. And that gets into all kinds of craziness um, that, uh, you know, whatever. I don't think, even think we probably have time to get into that conversation today. But um, unless you want to take it there, I'm totally fine with that. But uh, yeah, anyway, just as you were talking, I'm kind of things are kind of like piecing together in my mind of how that makes a lot of sense that that there's this idea of um my my identity the way that i view myself the way that i want to reinvent myself i can do that at as, whenever i want as often as i want in any way that i want as many times as i want and you have to accept it or you essentially almost become an outcast of this new society or this new way of thinking or philosophy of the modern age that we're living in it's wild because it really plays off the idea of putting the individual person within the God seat, right? That is why it's so attractive mm -hmm. because now I am the determiner of, of again, this meta narrative of my life, of who I am, and I get to determine how other people treat and react. And it's interesting because there's this um, book called uh, The Deconstructionist Playbook, and it, you really see it in there because uh, what they say is okay, to be deconstructionist is a really good thing. And what it is, is uh, it's how you apply it to scripture. You read scripture and you decide what to keep, what to revise and what to throw out altogether. So oh. God in a way becomes your own personal mascot. So you determine what God is going to look like, what, how you're going to refer to him. So oftentimes, and throughout this, this book, it's, it's like one to two page little devotionals that people write uh, talking about all uh, different topics within deconstructionism and um sometimes they will refer to god as him uh most most often though it is girl uh her or them 
And they don't mean them mm -hmm. as in three and one them, they mean them right. as in uh, non-gender terms. And so here we're having God now being reduced to a person's mascot to where they determine exactly who they want God to look like, um, to appear as, to represent, even to what they say. And that, that all falls into it because again, now I am in complete control. And if I'm the wow. dictator of my own reality, and if it is true objectively, because that was the problem with postmodernism, they're saying there is no objective truth. Metamodernism says, yes, but I am the creator of that objective truth. And you cannot infringe upon that in any sort any way. And so what's so interesting, especially with the activism component, is what you're seeing is people that have sort of the same metamodernism conclusions, they'll band together, you know, to go after someone who is not thinking that way. Because when you think of like Francis Schaeffer, right? He, um, he uh, was heavily influenced by Descartes. Um, and he kind of, he took the truth to be um, fact and value split. So you had fact, bottom story and that were things like science, logic, you know, things people didn't debate. Um, mm -hmm. Mathematics fell into that. And then you had values and that would be, you know, uh, art, philosophy, religion, you know, things that, that people say, okay, well, you know, you may have a different belief system, that sort of thing. And he, he divided it that way, or he explained it that way. And what we're seeing now within metamodernism, there isn't anything in the fact category. There's, there's now a truth and a harm category. Truth can be whatever you make it. I mean, even mathematics, even objective biology can be tossed out into the harm category if it doesn't go through this filter, this divide line of experience so so if you have you know you've got harm and then you've got truth and you've got this dividing line that's the filter it's not innocuous it's experience and you see that often mm -hmm. um, with people who are they go off feeling emotion it's heavily emotion based um, and how they are feeling and if it doesn't pass through that filter it gets lobbed into the harm category and now everything around them has to be changed so that the truth whatever they have put within the truth um, floor remains. And so you find people with those similar categories with you, you bond together, and then you go after anything that's deemed harmful. And so that's where this activism really comes in. And it can be, it, it's, it's dangerous, but it's also really attractive because again, you're in that position of power, the position of authority. You are now omniscient because you know all the things that, that you want and like and ascribe to. Um, and then you can now have that authority to go out within the public sphere and actually have an influence to get the public, the general public to go along with what you are determining. And so it's, it's really, yeah, it's wild. And how you see it in a lot of these video games, like the metaverse, it's, it kind of was cracking me up when I was hearing about it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this was a Steven Spielberg movie. This was ready mm. player one, you know, like who yep. decided this would be a great idea. <laughs> it was meant to show that this can be problematic if we get too obsessed with things that aren't true but yet we've had this infatuation this artificial infatuation for years and it started innocuously with um you know photo touch-ups and filters i mean it's to the point now where you can have a filter on your phone and you can take a picture of yourself and it'll put your makeup on it'll do the right shading to make you look awesome um i mean believe it started me amy with i know i know yeah. this doesn't happen Th this as good i don't look you, you don't you don't get to look this good just without those things you know what i mean i don't know <laughs> but Just no it, but it yeah no and it's it's stuff, funny though because we we have and especially we we get people um obsessed with the artificial that's why i mean i've yes. victoria's secret models don't even look like their own images because right. they have to airbrush the cellulite and everything right. else um that 
everybody has. And so we have almost groomed ourselves to be infatuated with the artificial. So why wouldn't we cross over? Mm -hmm. um, and then again, it, it puts us in this power role, which we are always wanting to be in. Um, from the beginning of time, we're always wanting to be uh, in that power role and make these decisions. And it usually ends badly. And, and yeah, it's just been wild to see how that's playing out in culture and then trying to figure out, okay, where are we now? Because this definitely doesn't feel postmodern. Um, it feels like there has been a shift. And yeah, just with talking with you and you mentioned the, the metamodernism, at first I was thinking, okay, maybe it's neo-modernism because I have heard it said even applied postmodernism. And I'm like, no, mm -hmm. this is different. And yeah, that, that metamodernism, it's, it's, it's the creation of my own objective reality and then trying to make sure that other people go along with it. It isn't good enough for me. Everybody else wow. has to go along with it. And then we even see it to where, okay, cool. If you want to have this, this artificial self, um, you can do that. And people are now starting to identify as no, that's my ideal self. And oftentimes mm -hmm. they, they don't look like who they are. My, my kids, um, they like, will watch YouTubers together. And there was one guy who, uh, he, he went and created his character and, you know, he's, he's like a shorter guy with blonde hair and he ended up putting himself as like a six foot four, super buff Keanu Reeves. Like he had a guitar and he was like, yes, you know, awesome. This is who I am now. And, uh, and it's just funny. You, you do see that people, people aren't going to enter that and be like Dwight and just, you know, put themselves in, uh, right. exactly themselves. They're going to tweak to what they perceive as what their ideal self should look like. And it's, it's sad wow. because it, it devalues who we are as people and it takes the inherent beauty that we have and just completely tosses it out because this artificial creation is what we want. Wow. Yeah. Even in a very simplistic way, uh, what was that a couple years ago when, uh, at the time Facebook was, uh, they, they started doing those, uh, those little avatars, like the little cartoon oh, yeah. version of yourself, it would look like mm -hmm. you and stuff like that. And those became really prevalent and people still use those. And, um, I forget what they call them. Um, oh, what do they call they those? Like you use them in Snapchat, um, where it's like the, it's like the cartoon version of you. It's not called mm -hmm. an avatar though. It's a, um, no, it's like a, no. Cause I'm thinking of we, they were called me's. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something but like yeah, I, everybody loved them because they were yeah. like these cutesy little characters. It was like, oh, if I was a Pixar yeah. character, this is what I'd look like. It was awesome. Yeah, those are super cool. And of course, like there's nothing inherently wrong with that. At least I don't think so. But uh, but yeah, it's just sort of that there's there's a progressive desensitization that happens toward these kinds of things. And I, and, and I think, you know, um, the, the the my friend that I had on when we were talking about the metaverse, he was a little he was way more kind of embracing of it than I was at the time. And he kind of did do some things to change my perspective a little bit. And I do think that there are definite um, things that we can benefit from. And I think that there's ways that we can engage with the culture and technology in a way that does promote um, good things and godly values and things like that. I don't think it's necessarily a complete running away from everything that's happening or the shift that's right. taking place. Um, but I do think that we have to be cautious. And I think that the biggest point of caution, and this is probably a dumb thing that I don't even really need to say, is that it's it's got to remain Christ-centered and, and mm. centered on truth on the word of God. And I know that like truth is like, that's almost like a trigger word, right? Because you can't yeah. like, well, what's true for you is not true for me. But now, as you're saying the shift, that's, that was sort of the really simplistic way to define postmodernism. I think um, that there is no absolute truth, that truth is subjective, that what's true for you is not true for me. 
um, that there is no actual objective truth, but I can find something for me that's true. And in that I can find meaning, you know, in mm. that I can find. And, and I think that, you know, um, b before kind of preceding postmodernism was um, this thing called nihilism. Um, mm. And there was atheistic existentialism. And there was these these other sort of philosophical um, ways of thinking that really kind of diminished everything down to meaninglessness and to nothingness. And then I think postmodernism kind of responded to that and said, you know what, that's a little bit too nihilistic, like that's a little bit too dark. And we don't we don't like you know, we don't like that. So let's take the, the concept of that, that there is no ultimate truth. There is no objective truth. So we don't have a like, I, I guess the thing, the, the classic statement with nihilism is God is dead, right. meaning God was God never existed in the first place. So that means that we can let go of inhibitions because we don't owe allegiance to any higher power. So essentially we can do whatever we want. But at the same mm -hmm. time, the natural progression of that is life is meaningless. <laughs> so yeah. postmodernism essentially uh, takes a lot of the 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 details of that, but says no, there is no abstract meaning, but you can find meaning if you take it and you apply it to yourself. And mm -hmm. so there's been this constant sort of trying to redefine life and meaning and purpose, but absent of God and absent yeah. of any kind of a moral, you know, a set standard or moral or biblical or Christocentric uh, structure. And so I think that where we are now and where things are going, it's basically just it's the natural progression of that. It's like when you run away from God for hundreds of years <laughs> and you tried to define life and meaning just based on what you philosophize about it or what you think or you know what what makes sense to you that in and of itself i think becomes in a form of idolatry you know and and uh essentially you know human it's essentially humanistic i think at its foundation and you know basically we've ended up where where we are now in this place of you know i think a lot of people would look at a lot of the stuff that's going on in society, I think a lot of people, you don't have to be a Christian to look at some of the things that they're starting to try to push as normal. And you don't have to be a Christian. You know, there's a lot of a lot of people on all kinds, on different sides of the aisle, different religious beliefs and, and, and all that kind of stuff that are looking at where society is going in a lot of ways and saying, this is ludicrous. Like, this is crazy. This doesn't make sense. But I guess what I'm saying is at the same time, it, it has been sort of the natural progression of what happens when you make a conscious effort collectively to run from God, to run from principles, to run from structures. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. And it's funny because what popped into mind when you're like, you know, when you have people who are starting to recognize that things are getting a little crazy, the the two names that always pop into my head are are Bill Maher and Ricky Gervais, who are staunch atheists. And even they're like, okay, wait a second, folks, oh, yeah. we're starting to get a we're starting to get a little little crazy on the crazy train. So, um, mm -hmm. and yeah, it, and it is, and it it is, it's the perfect example of of how we are in constant rebellion to God from the very beginning. It's just, it almost, it just. 
it's a different movement. If it's a different fashion trend now of how we're going to be an active rebellion, we're trying to find a God replacement. And at its core, it's, it's a rejection of authority. I mean, that's why you want to get rid of truth because truth is irrefutable. That's why, you know, like we're hanging cabinets. We are heavily dependent on a level and a ruler because we need that, uh, that objective standard of what is actually straight for us to even hang up these cabinets correctly. Truth right. is that ruler. Yeah. And if we can get rid of it, then we 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 can get rid of authority we can get rid of accountability ourselves because i mean that's we don't want to be submissive to an authority and we certainly don't want to be held accountable for our actions like those are the two main things nobody likes people like when other people are held accountable for their bad actions they never like it when they themselves are and so that's what's kind of the the undermining goal here and you know i've referenced the the metaverse and, and video games is the same thing with like social media. All things can be used to the glory of God, but all things can be made into an idol too. So there has to be mm. balance within those. Um, yeah. And but within this this thought process, again, we're just seeing it's the same story all over again. It is man actively trying to rebel against mm. God, man trying to create their own moral code, their own truth, uh, definition of truth. They're trying to answer all these worldview questions and it, it'll sound popular and edgy and gain traction for a little while, but ultimately you do end up being faced with the reality of it. And they do have this sort of nihilistic theme, uh, undermining all of them, because when we take away, uh, ultimate truth, ultimate beauty, which can only be re rooted in God, then everything is, else is preferential. I mean, it's something has value just because we determine that it has value, but we can change mm. our minds constantly. And so it's, it's dangerous ground. It's taking things that are supposed to be absolute and putting them with a foundation of shifting sands. And that's, what's so dangerous, but it is, it, it is attractive because it's, it's new and edgy and it sounds like, well, I'm in control and I'm the one that determines things and everybody likes control. Um, nobody, uh, you know, submission isn't easy in all circumstances. And so that's where we have to be engaged with these thought processes from a worldview perspective where we're asking these mm. big questions. Um, yeah. to see the reality of, of the conclusion that's going to happen with these arguments. Most people don't. What they do is they're, they're enamored by the commercial, by the TED talk, by the pitch that comes off so passionately. And, and they say, oh, wow, this sounds great. But they, they don't see, okay, wait, what are all those kind of like those medical commercials at the very end where they're like, may lead to, you know, incontinence, death, <laughs> you know, all these other things you're like, oh, wait, maybe it's not yeah. good to take this. Yeah. People don't often face that. And unfortunately we have, a generation that that has been groomed not to think critically but to react emotionally and wow. to react emotionally it's really easy to have your emotions flare up it takes a lot longer for you to think through a process and so if you can wow. groom a generation groom a culture to react emotionally man you can control them like marionettes and uh and that's what we that's that's the problem is that people don't often take times to think through these things and that's perhaps our best line of defense when we're engaging these other their ideas is to, okay, wait, let's walk through this. Maybe it's just one question at a time that we try and tackle. Uh, it's like Greg Kokel says, you're putting that pebble in their shoe so they can think about what are the results of this thought process of this worldview that I've adopted. Um, because a lot of people don't recognize that it's a worldview. They just see it. Oh, this is just a way of life. This is just who I am right now. You know, it's just a, a cool phase, like what you go through in high school, or if you go live on the beach in LA for a little while, you know? Um, and so it's important to help people think critically and the church to think critically. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's so, that's so key. And it's something that, um, I know is at the heart and the foundation of, uh, what you all do with mama bear apologetics, 
um, with your with your writing and with um, your content and with the conversations that you have uh, really centered around that on on helping our our kids, our teenagers, each other, just um, preparing the the body of Christ, wanting to equip and prepare the body of Christ to think critically and to tackle these issues and these challenges and these uh, cultural conversations head on and not shy away, not cower away, not run the other direction. But as as we've been saying, engage with the culture, engage with um, these differences of philosophy or differences of opinion, differences in worldview. And uh, it, it is so important to be able to to think critically, as you said. And I think that that was really such a good point, the way that you the way that you articulated that about um, this current generation not really being not, not really having been prepared to think critically, but more so how to think emotionally. And uh, the result of that is that um, they're they can easily succumb to a particular narrative that's placed in front of them. And that's for sure, I think, what we're seeing in so many ways today. Um, how, how do you think or what do you think are some ways that this kind of thinking, this kind of, you know, neo-modernistic or even post-modernist, um, but then, you know, more so now it, with uh, what we're terming this meta-modernism or whatever we're calling it, uh, what are some ways that you think that it, it's actually infiltrated into the... I don't know if I want to say the church or Christianity in general. Um, what are some ways that you think, um, you know, in a negative sense that some of these thought processes have um, had an impact even on, you know, Christianity, whether it's the way that we relate to one another, the way that we, we relate to the world, the way that we think about God. Um, is there anything there that you have some, uh, some thoughts on? Yeah, we're seeing, we're seeing that, sort of emotionalism within the church uh, causing them to compromise their adherence toward scripture the fundamentals of scripture okay. um that's what and and again this isn't every church every denomination um there are more denominations that lean this route than others uh to where they have bought into these emotional arguments they have bought into the arguments from experience and they say okay well you're experiencing this so we're going to we're going to compromise uh truth within scripture i've seen it i've seen it happen with teens um I've called it the relational compromise to where they will be they will be on fire for the lord until they have a friend a sibling a family member or whatever um actively live a lifestyle contrary to scripture and uh what they will do is they will compromise their faith to maintain a relationship with their friend they don't know mm. or their sibling or to um advocate for their sibling because they don't see they don't know how to love someone like jesus um did who like at the woman with the woman at the well, he went and met her and didn't see her as her sin, but as someone lost to sin, wow. um, someone to minister to. And unfortunately, the church in the past does have a bit of a history of, of vilifying people and seeing them just as their sin. And oh man, you got to go at it like a bull in the china shop to be able to win people over. And you know, sometimes that that more uh, John the Baptist route can work. But when you are dealing with a culture that is now shifted into this heavily emotions focused mindset you can't go out and do that because they will shut down run away and seek community from someone who affirms what they what they need wow. um 
And so I've, I've seen this in churches to where they will compromise doctrines regarding the inerrancy of scripture, who God is. Uh, the biggest um, one is sexuality um, to where now they they have bought into these arguments that, okay, you know, because you were going through this, scripture must be wrong. It must be outdated. It must be too patriarchal. Uh, I mean, this deconstructionist playbook, mm. um, it's, yeah, it's yeah. basically this huge compromise of people who have now decided that they are going to put scripture and God through their own personal filter of experience and whatever comes out mm -hmm. the end, that's what they're going to affirm and follow. And we are seeing this happen within church, uh, within Christianity. However, we are also seeing a great revival too of apologetic thought because in the past, the church kind of pulled away, they sort of circled the wagon, so to speak, and they didn't, uh -huh. they stopped speaking into culture. And so now they're realizing, wait, that doesn't work because now we've got millennials and Gen Z who are leaving the church at huge rates and Pew Research, um, they did a study on the reasons why these uh, generations are leaving. And most of them were intellectual reasons. They didn't understand the nature. There, there have been problems there uh, in the past. But what we're seeing is the church come back and they're starting to um, incorporate more apologetic teaching and worldview engagement with uh, with their with their congregation, which is fantastic. And what's been interesting mm. that I've seen the most of is, uh, you know, we have mama bear apologetics is sort of the rise up of the grand mama bear apologists. Because here, in I'll, I'll go out and speak, and there are so many grandmothers in the audience. Because what has happened is, you know, they they may have brought their children to church, but they didn't really speak, talk about it, engage with it. Um, as much their um, millennial children or Gen Z children have walked away from the faith, but now they're having grandchildren and the grandmas are realizing, oh man, we need to answer these questions. My babies mm. are just falling after the world hook, line and sinker, and I need to speak into it. And so it's been awesome to where wow. we'll have a lot of moms present, but what's been so exciting is to see this revival among the grandparents and realizing, okay, wait, you know, just a, a sermon a week isn't enough. We have to be engaging with the world tactically because the world is engaging tactically, tactically with our kids and with our grandchildren. And so, yeah, within wow. Christianity, it's this, this compromise. They're, they're hearing emotional appeals and they see the brokenness and the woundedness. Um, and unfortunately they're meeting that brokenness and woundedness just with compromise and okay, we're going to give you whatever you need to make you feel better. Um, and rather than saying, okay, wait, I see that you're broken. I see that you're hurting, but some of the things that you're longing for aren't things that are going to bring you wholeness and redemption and aren't part of God's plan. Let me help come alongside you. Let's let me help build you up. We'll walk together yeah. as brothers and sisters in Christ. That hasn't happened as much. Yeah. It's starting to, which is encouraging, but that's where I'm seeing um, a lot of of this shift happening within the church is they're sort of buying into these emotional appeals um, rather than kind of taking a moment to step back and say, I, I hear your brokenness. I hear um, your issues. You are totally right in this, in this area, in this area, in this area, affirming the things that they have, that they are totally dead on. Um, but how you're trying to get there and what you're seeking, you can't achieve that by the means that you're going for. And we are not mm. going to reject scripture. We are not going to reject God. Instead, I'm going to help you walk closer wow. to him. So that's what's needed. Wow. Yeah, no, that's that's really um, it's really well said. There's this uh, you, you see this in different places, this sort of like postmodernist version of Christianity where um, people do, as you're saying, they kind of 
they they mold or craft their Christianity or their theology or you know their preference of of religion or whatever it is like however they define their walk with the Lord they take that and they kind of craft it around themselves and then it shifts and change based on what they're reacting to so you'll yeah. see people that are you know you'll see Christians that are uh, you know, they have a certain opinion about um, if we're talking about, you know, homos homosexuality or transgenderism or whatever it is, like they might have a certain opinion about it. But then, you know, maybe um, one of their one of their friends um, comes out as gay or someone in their family they find out is um, is gay or identifies in a certain way or whatever. And then they don't know how to reconcile that with their faith. And so what happens is their faith will kind of take on a different shape. Or their, um, you know, their idea of Christianity or, or, you know, what the Bible says will kind of take on a different shape to kind of be able to put both of these worlds together. And uh, and that kind of thing where it's this reactionary sort of a process where we're constantly reaction, reactioning, we're constantly reacting to these things and then as a result our theology shifts our idea of god our idea of our relationship with god shifts and you know we end up when we do that we end up getting further and further and further away from the source until you know a lot of people would look around at the the church today the operation of and i'm not talking about uh there's amazing churches uh, like there there are incredible churches that are teaching the word of god there are you know incredible communities i am a i'm a pastor i just want to say this like i believe in the church i'm not in any way bad mouthing the church but there is a lot that goes on in organized I'm using air quotes for anybody just listening organized religious settings where we have gotten so far away from the source from the original intent when Jesus came and he walked this earth and he began to lay the foundation for what life looks like in the kingdom. And then the early um, the, the, the early uh, church leaders, the early church, the first century church, laying the foundation for culture in the church and community and all of that. And in so many ways, we've gotten so far away from that, so far away from the source, because we've just kept redefining what it's supposed to look like mm -hmm. based on cultural modality. And mm -hmm. when we do that, you know, eventually you got to look up and you're like, it, it's like that old, uh, the, you know, this story that that um, that that I've heard and, and used as sermon illustrations over and over again. It's like the guy cutting uh, two by fours. And so he has a, hundreds of two by fours that he's got to cut. So he takes the first two by four and he's got to cut them to, to a length of eight feet. And so I don't know if they're 12 feet, whatever, however long they are, but he's got to cut them to eight feet. So he takes the first one, he measures it and he cuts it down. It's eight feet. So now he takes that board and he uses it as the measuring tool to, to then cut the next board. So the first board that he cut, oh. it's eight feet. So now he says, okay, this board's eight feet long. Rather than measuring out each and everything, getting the ruler out every time and whatever, I'm going to use this board as my measuring rod. And so I line it up with the next two by four and I cut it. But then instead mm -hmm. of, and that's fine, that's fine. And what you do when that happens is you end up with about an eighth or a sixteenth of an inch or something like that extra length on the end of that second board that you cut uh, just because of the way that the, the, the saw blade works and whatever, that's fine because it's really close. It's not a big difference. It's still pretty much an eight foot board. <laughs> but if you, if you then move the original cut out of the way and now you measure the next board with the second board, and then the fourth board with the third board, and you keep going down the line and you're kind of doing this assembly 
you know, line thing without really thinking about it. By the time you get through a couple hundred boards, some of your boards are nine feet long, some are 10 mm -hmm. feet long, and they're completely different than the original source that you started off with. And that's what happens uh, when we just constantly react to what came before us. And, uh, you know, we see microchasms of that all the time, like you, on a very, very, you know, basic level, as you mentioned, we see that on individual levels where maybe somebody grew up in the church or they had a bad experience in church or whatever. So now they react to that and they go somewhere else where now they think instead of trying to think critically, as you said, and figure out what went wrong here, because it's not OK. Like it's 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 not like if you were if if uh, you were constantly offended or judged uh, unfairly, you were torn down, you were beat up. I know a lot of people that have burnout from growing up in church, particular church settings and that, you know what I mean? There's, there's bitterness there. And, and like, it's not okay. If, if you were hurt, you were wounded, you were offended. It's not, it's not okay. But rather than let's say, let's abandon God because people hurt me or people taught in a way that was manipulative or whatever, I'm going to run the other direction and I'm going to try to find meaning out of something else in life. And then we get so far away from the source of why we exist, why we're here in the first place. And this thing just kind of keeps progressing to the point that we we step back and we look and we're like, uh, what? <laughs> How did we Where get are we? here? <laughs> where are we? Yeah. Yeah. It's those subtle Crazy. compromises. And that's where, you know, that's perhaps where it would be most helpful is, like you said, bringing it back to the original source um, to where the the early church, it was all about discipleship. And so often now it's, you know, maybe a catchy sermon series or, you know, having having a great topical series. But we got to make sure that while culture will shift and our approach to culture has to shift, the guiding line doesn't ever shift. So it's just yeah. our approach yeah. that changes. And so that's where, you know, having that more practical aspect of sermons and equipping of not just talking about culture, but okay, here's how you navigate it. Here's what happens when you get together for Thanksgiving and your your relatives come together and, and uh, you know, you all are a hodgepodge of worldviews. How do you engage in that critically and lovingly? Yeah. I mean, that's what we're needing that tactical equipping of, of the congregation because that's what they're hungering for because they're in the midst of it. Um, there was a, oh gosh, I, I talked to one mom after I talked at my church and we, we spoke for like an hour because she had been in a family situation and for five years, she'd basically just been treading water trying. She didn't know how to navigate it, what to do. She didn't know there were resources out there. And so we talked for like an hour and I gave her like this whole list of books and she was so excited. Um, and here she had been active members of the church and she had no idea how to deal with the situation. Mm, and it's one of those yeah. things where I, I'm sure she's not the only one within all churches is we need this sort of active aspect of of a preaching and just reaching and equipping our congregation to where it needs to go back toward the discipleship model of not here, yes. you know, it's, it's here's culture. Let's not run away in panic and try and, you know, keep ourselves in our, in our little Christian bunkers. Cause that's not how life works. Um, we need to be uh, mm. unafraid. We need to be desensitized enough that it doesn't shock us and that we're able to engage with it. And okay. What are some practical tips for engaging, for having discussions, uh, and that way we can minister and be effective for Christ. Um, because that's a lot of people, 
are so hesitant to share their witness and speak truth because they they aren't confident on what they know and they don't know how to go about it without seeming like one of those crazy Christians that culture loves to paint Christians to be. And so it's it's just this awesome opportunity that the church can come and step up and be like, hey, you know, we are going to equip you to be effective on the battlefield. Mm. And uh, Jason Whitlock, he, he does a podcast that's great. And he's talking about, um, he talks a lot about fearlessness, that if we truly fear God, we won't fear man. And to where we won't be intimidated to engage in a conversation and have that discussion because who we truly fear are the one, are the one is the one who can destroy the soul, not the one who can blast us on Twitter, you know? Wow. So, um, and I love that. And I think that's Come just on. a great opportunity. And, and what's awesome is because of how aggressive culture has gotten, uh, the church is starting to wake up and step up, which is exciting. So, mm. yeah. So, on that from from you know when we talk about apologetics um a, a lot a, a lot of it and a lot of what y'all do at mama bear apologetics and with your writing for women in apologetics and and all the apologetics organizations out there uh so much of it is about you you know you as an individual kind of developing crafting your worldview your understanding of god how to think critically about god and and to have that solid foundation so that when arguments come up, when you're confronted with opposing philosophies or ideologies or whatever, that you're you're operating from a biblical foundation, a biblical worldview. You're operating from a place of being able to think critically, to engage with culture, to not run away. And then also to be able to engage with other people and to be able to have dialogue and to have discussions and to not be afraid of those discussions, to not be afraid of people just because they think differently because they have a difference in theology or a difference in opinion or a difference in philosophy or understanding worldview whatever um and, and i just i think that it becomes so important to understand how to think critically and also how to engage with other people and opposing ideologies from the perspective of like i can affirm you as a person without affirming what you believe or without agreeing what you uh, without agreeing with what you believe in other words um i don't have to treat you as less than i don't have to treat you in some judgmental kind of a way or anything like that um but we can actually have a conversation we can actually talk to one another and like i can be open to actually listening to to you listening to what um to what you're thinking to what your thought process is so that i can actually engage with you and that we can have a conversation about truth and we can have a conversation about you know whatever whatever these things are but you know i don't have to and, and i shouldn't as a christian i should not be dishonoring other people just because what they believe might be different than what I believe. And I think that that's something that Jesus modeled so well in being able to, what's the word that I'm looking for? I use the word affirm and that's not the word that I'm trying to use. And I can't think, and this happened to me last time I was trying to do this. I couldn't think of the right word, um, but uh, dignify. That's what I'm trying to say. Being able to dignify the person, even when you don't agree with their belief system. Right. Yeah. And how, how do you think that that, um, works its way into apologetics, into these conversations, and maybe just like what are some practical ways that we can engage with people in culture and society um, where we're actually 
honoring people, dignifying people, but at the same time, maintaining our stance, you know, maintaining, you know, we're not assimilating with the worldview of, uh, you know, what's popular or the philosophy of the day or whatever. But at the same time, we're still dignifying the person or the group of people that we're in front of and that we're engaging with. Yeah, and and we we actually outline a little bit of this in our guide to sexuality book. It's recognizing that everyone's made in the image of God, but not everyone is a child of God. So there's a distinction. All human beings are made in the image of God. Everybody has inherent dignity and worth because they are God's creation. Not everyone, but not everyone's a follower of God. And sure. so uh, a lot of people, especially when it comes to alternative worldviews, everything else, I mean, you can almost think of it in the sense of, of like we cover in the book, like a captive. You know, if you have someone who is captive to a, a false belief, you're there on a rescue effort, not on an attack mission. And so that's right. kind of the huge difference is before, you know, it was always we, we sort of reduce people to what they believe. Um, or their sin or whatever. And then we have to, you know, go and destroy, seek, tack, destroy. You get the whole fire and brimstone um, <laughs> yeah. kind of mindset yeah. that can that can happen. And I've seen it. I've, I've seen it even on seminary. Of a, and it, it was with an older gentleman who was talking about how, how proud he was that he was able to talk to this unbeliever and tell him how he's going to hell. And I'm like, I, I don't think that converse, I don't think he'll be calling you back, you know, to have a, right. a future discussion. Right. And that's where right. it's like, when we actually look at how Jesus engaged with sinners um, and the lost, we see that he recognizes that they were made in God's image, that they have inherent dignity and worth. And he treated them as such, but he also treated them as captives of people who may not um, understand, who may have been deceived. And so he mm. ministered to that. And so that's just a, a real practical tip of just recognize who exactly you're facing. They're made in God's image. And these people believe what they believe because they think it's true. Um, yeah. and so I mean, everybody makes that decision. Nobody, they will make decisions based on what they believe is true. So what that means is that you get to go on informational recon and find out, okay, why do they believe this? What is in their past? So you get to be thoughtful and you get to hear their story, which most of them won't think that Christians will want to do because again, Christians are negative and angry and gosh, just watch TV and see how they depict Christian <sighs> characters. It's tragic. Man. We're either super mean or just so awkward. It's just sad. Um, and so <laughs> yeah. if you can get to know someone, uh, that's huge. They, that people are floored by that and they really appreciate it to where, um, you can find out, okay, is there a church hurt? Did they have someone in their congregation who they were vulnerable with and who, instead of being merciful and speaking life, they shamed and slapped them down. I mean, no wonder mm. who wouldn't walk away from that. Um, and that was one thing that was really interesting. Um, we were, uh, oh gosh, my husband and I were watching um, Squid Games, and uh, that was an interesting aspect of that show, is there's a character in Squid Games who um, she was really resentful toward another character who was actively praying, and it came out later in the show, that's because her dad had, or uh, dad or stepfather claimed to be a Christian, but was also abusing her behind the scenes, and he thought he could abuse her yeah. and then just pray for absolution, and then he was good. So yeah. of course she was disillusioned. And so that's where we need to be thoughtful and be, have this relational, there's different forms of evangelism. I'm a huge advocate for the relationship or the relational method. It, not all situations will allow for it, but that's the mm -hmm. goal 
is to be able to get to know who they are, get to know their backstory. Why do they believe what they believe? Greg Kokel's tactics, it just came out with like a 15th anniversary, 10th anniversary, buy the book, it's fantastic. Get to know them as the person because then you can not only understand what their, what their background is, but what they're seeking, what they're going for. What are they hoping to find? And then you can have thoughtful conversations about, you know what, I, I, was, I was right there with you. I believe the exact same thing. Um, but what I found is that this worldview didn't meet that, but there is one that does, and that's Christianity. And so it's, it's being able to thoughtfully engage with someone and hear their views without automatically jumping in the hole. Oh man, I can't wait till they say what they believe. So I can just, you know, have the apologetic smackdown and, mm. uh, and you know, oh, and that's going to make them come to Christ. Um, it's, it's listening to understand, not just to hear. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. recognize that they're made in the image of God, that they believe what they believe because it's true. Um, a lot of them have baggage in their past uh, that we need to, to be empathetic and even recognize maybe for the first time that what happened to them was wrong and that was not right and that was oh. not what God had designed. Um, and then show them who God is. Bring them back mm -hmm. to that original source like what you said and say, no, this is who God is. Um, that is, that is a great way to be effective for the kingdom. And again, uh, you know, it, it doesn't mean that every situation that you do that in will lead, uh, to them coming to Christ. That's the Holy spirit that has to work, but we are faithfully ministering to people how Jesus ministered to the broken without, and it doesn't involve mm -hmm. us compromising truth, but it does enable us to be empathetic and to be merciful and to show the empathy and mercy that we needed to hear at one point in our own wow. lives. Wow. That's so good. Oh, that's so good. That's such a good word. It's it's so important. And and uh, you know, one thing that's been helpful to me, and I, I don't, I, I'm not saying I do this well, but uh, it's just been trying to be like, I think asking questions is so important, and and getting to the bottom of like where people are and where they're feeling. Again, not every situation warrants that. Sometimes you don't have, you know, uh, all all this time to be with someone and right. to have the relational sort of evangelism discipleship kind of thing going on. But, uh, you know, but asking questions when you can and getting to the bottom of things and like having a genuine curiosity has been really helpful to me. Like, like having that mindset that I'm not asking you a question because I want you to answer. Like, I'm not framing this question because I want you to answer in a certain way. I'm, I'm asking you this question because I genuinely care about you and where you're coming from. And because as you said, I, I think that, you know, this word you kind of ended up on is brokenness. You know, there is so much brokenness in the world. So much of it is the result of what we've been talking about with these just strange philosophies that have just brought people further and further away from the truth, even the idea that truth can exist. And, you know, there's so much brokenness in our world. There's so much brokenness that comes with that. And for us to, as God's people, as those who Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another, not by the way you tear down and judge and preach fire and brimstone, but by your love for one another. And, uh, you know, there, there's times like in Jude, uh, things like 22 and 23, he says, um, you know, on some have mercy and on others save with fear, snatching them out of the fire. Like there, there's times where you've got to really speak um, intensely to somebody 
And there's times where you've got to show so much mercy and so much grace and so much compassion and so much empathy. Well, I think empathy is always involved no matter what we're talking about. I think grace and compassion are always involved and mercy, but there's different expressions of that. Like there's there's times to, um, you know, really just kind of speak the truth in love, <laughs> not just speaking the truth because it makes you feel like a better Christian, but to speak the truth in love with the motivation of, I want this person to be free. I want this person to know the truth. And there's times where it's kind of a process and getting in and kind of playing that. It's not playing, but kind of um, um, on that very compassionate level, like what we saw Jesus do with the woman at the well and just asking questions and getting involved and finding out about her past. And, you know, he used the prophetic. So he kind of already <laughs> he knew what was going on. <laughs> he knew like he, he was able to tell her what her past was like before she even told him. But he was still just asking her questions and engaging with her. And it's just so important to do that. If we're talking grand scale with culture, I think, but then also um, on a on a broader scale, the way that I think this practically plays out in daily life is by um, just kind of getting into the weeds or the trenches with people that are broken, that are hurting, even if they're not expressing that. Like we know that there's brokenness. We've all got brokenness on some level. So we know that there's something there that this person needs to encounter the love of the father so that it can be healed and so that they can be set free. And, um, you know, yeah, as you said, I, I just thought you, you put it so well that it's like, you know, we can lose, we can win an argument and lose the person, you know, we, yeah. can, we can win an argument by, you know, speaking whatever. Um, but, but lose the opportunity to really minister to a person and help them to see, um, the, the nature and the character of God demonstrated through our lives. Mm -hmm. So um, really, really appreciate that. And uh, Amy, I uh, unfortunately, I'm out of time. I could keep talking to you all freaking day long because um, I, I love this conversation. I always love having you on because what you bring to the table is so, I think, so important. And um, you you really are, are so knowledgeable about the stuff that you talk about. And uh, it, it challenges me um, to go further. And I always learn every time you come on. I probably tell you that every time. But I really appreciate it. So um, thank you for, for your time. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I, I love coming on and, and chatting. And, and yeah, this is, this is great to be able to, to have another brother in Christ to be able to hash out these issues. Because, yeah, we're, we're in the trenches, you know. So this is how we can, how we can be effective. Amen. Uh, well, real quick, because we didn't do this before. Um, if you would, uh, where would you point some people so that they can find some more resources? Uh, we could point, um, talk about Mama Bear Apologetics, talk about women in apologetics and anything else that uh, that you'd like to bring up here. Oh, yeah. I mean, both of those sources are absolutely great, especially if you are a, a lady in the audience. These ministries are devoted directly toward you is other women to build up other women, which is is fantastic and definitely a needed ministry. That's one thing we've found um, just through speaking engagements is, is women love hearing apologetics, theology, philosophy from other women. It's just great when you can have that that bonding um, with another female, you know, you can laugh and and talk about the craziness of kids, the, the wildness of childbirth and the glory of God all in one conversation, you know, and uh, and yeah. so both of those are absolutely fantastic 
fantastic. Um, again, we, we mentioned it a couple times. Uh, Greg Kokel's Tactics is a fantastic book to go through. Um, our own book, Mama Bear Guide to Sexuality, as well as our very yes. first Mama Bear Apologetics book is there. It makes these these huge things in the headlines that can seem so convoluted and it just infuses humor and simplicity to where we can understand and practical tips to be effective in the kingdom. Mm. Um, those are really great resources. Gosh, anything by Nancy Piercy, Julie Slattery. I mean, I could just, I could go on and on, but there are just sure. fantastic resources out there. And, and perhaps that's, that's the one thing is if you think you're struggling with something, know that there's been somebody else who's been struggling with it since the beginning of time and there are resources for that so all you have yes. to do is is a google search uh, a duck duck go search whatever your service is um <laughs> yeah. uh, or reach out to one of us do it for myself and we will we will point you to somebody who can get you the answers to the questions that you have so good highly recommend mama bear apologetics guide to sexuality uh co-authored by amy with hillary ferrer Hillary Ferrer, thank you. Uh, so good. It's available on Amazon.com. Um, is that the best place, or is is it better to yeah, go to the website? Amazon's great. Or... Christian Books. Um, they usually have it on sale there. So if you want to support a Christian retailer, that is, you know, we we always back that. So Christian Books is is great. Uh, I've even even seen it listed online through, you know, Target. Uh, I don't think Hobby Lobby has it yet. Hobby Lobby, if you go into the store, you'll see the first book, but not the second. So yeah, Amazon, okay. Christian cool. Books, Target, wherever wherever books are sold, you will find us. So good. All right. Well, thank you again, Amy. And uh, thank you, everybody, for taking the time to check out this episode. I pray that it was encouraging or maybe challenging or maybe just uh, makes you want to think differently or think more critically or something like that. If you got anything out of it, if you'd consider subscribing, sharing, or leaving a review, that would truly mean the world to me. Uh, for like the fifth time, Amy, thank you again. I appreciate you. Thanks, Duke.